to me, always the worship is the best part for me. And I love praying for people like that. I always think just having a bunch of people to come pray for somebody that's doing something, going somewhere, or just has some need is just life-giving. But I do want to talk to you this morning. Um, You know, I've been going through uh, the life of Elijah because I believe the Lord is pouring out the the spirit of Elijah in the earth today. And and I'm hungry for that. I'm really hungry. That's why I'm, I'm sticking with it because, and I really didn't have any intention of doing this many messages on one person. You know, I thought maybe I'd do two or three, hit the high points and move on. And But it's so ministered to me. And... Um, so I just feel like it's something God's doing. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna ride this horse until it's time to get off, right? This, I mean, when I started thinking about it, like, good Lord, this guy had a lot of stuff going on in his life that I didn't that I don't you don't normally think of. When, normally, when you think about Elijah, you, you think about him calling fire down from heaven, right? I mean, that's pretty much you know. And then maybe you might think about the widow that he did the miracle with, or you may think about the him being by the brook. But then that's about it. Well, that's three good messages, right? And then you're done and you can move on. But heck, even after he called fire down from heaven, there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened that's, that's revelatory. And so, but I will have to admit to you, the calling down fire is my, one of my more favorite stories about Elijah. And it's been really meaningful to me in my life for a long time. Not just because it was a grand miracle, which it was, but... The Lord has really, in the past, has really spoken to me a lot from that story about revival, about how God wants to bring revival, because that's what Elijah was trying to do when he came to Mount Carmel, was to, to turn the nation. He wasn't just trying to do a miracle, he was trying to turn the nation back to God, because they had, they had left the Lord. And that's what revival ultimately is meant to, to be, I mean, of there's the aspect of, of God renewing the church and blessing the church and causing the people of God to come afresh, revived, the, the name ought to be revived again and to have fire and passion. Uh, but ultimately, God wants that to go into the world. Uh, and I believe there's going to be a move of God that we're going to see a lot of salvations. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll tell you that. I really feel that, uh, that that's something that God's interested in doing is is saving people, uh, and I feel we need to really pull on that revelation. It's in John 4 where don't say, you know, four months to harvest. See the harvest now and begin to pull, pull on that harvest today. Amen? Amen. So I'm, I'm going to read, uh, and then I'll kind of give you a little, little bit of something else. I'm going to read in First uh, Kings 18, verse 17 through 35. But I'm just going to read the first few. I'm not going to read all these verses because I don't really read that good out loud. I, I read wonderfully to myself, but when I hear myself reading out loud, it's like, ugh. And I've had people tell me I don't pronounce words right, and, you know, you don't do right, and you don't say right. And it's like, yeah, I know, but I'm just, I can't help it. I'm just messed up. I even took this thing one time. This is a long time ago because it's on cassette tapes where you could go through and listen to biblical names. And pronounce them properly. I even went and tried to do that. And the time I got through with it, I was so confused. Like, I don't even know who these people are. You know, and I know them by their wrong pronunciation. I should try to do that again, maybe. 
It says in verse 17, Then it happened, this is when, ah- when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And, yeah. And you know that word troubler literally means snake. That's what the literal meaning of that word is. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Isn't that powerful? I mean, Elijah just went right after him. Now, notice this. Now, he didn't give him a chance to say anything else. I think this is interesting. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel. I mean, immediately Elijah said, this is what I want you to do. I mean, that was a bold, because he's speaking to the king. The 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. The prophets of Asherah were like the female version the female version of Baal. That's what that was. That demon was the female version. So you had these different prophets. But So there was a total of 850 prophets of Baal that Elijah told the king to bring to Mount Carmel. Um, so Ahab, the Ahab did it too. That's what's crazy about it. Of course, if you had 850 people versus one guy, you'd probably think, yeah, we're doing this. We're going to get you, buddy. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. So that's how this thing happened. Now, if you really look at uh, Elijah's life, uh, you can really, in your mind, get a, a, a glimpse of his life. It's like There's these different things, different places, and they're all significant. The first place was is when he just showed up out of the blue and confronted... Uh, Ahab and say and, and put the challenge out that it's not going to rain until I say so. That was the introduction to Elijah in the Bible. Nobody you never heard of before. Then we know he came from a certain place. Elijah the Tishbite, no nothing. Which is and I mentioned this. It's very unusual in the Scripture for a significant person for their parents or their parent their grandparents not to be mentioned because you know God is big into genealogy. He's big into you know, read the Gospels. They talk, talk, go all through the whole genealogy of Christ. But Elijah is unique in that fashion that there's none of that. I think that, that really speaks to me. And then immediately the Lord sends him to the brook Cherith where he was going to drink water and be fed by the ravens. And that's where he went and waited there until the brook dried up, which... It's such a powerful thing. You know, sometimes your brook dries up, right? Sometimes where God, God's provision for you comes to an end, right? I mean, I know that's hard for Christians to believe that it would actually come to an end, that God, something God had ordained in your life suddenly is no longer ordained by God. It, its life came to an end. It wasn't, it wasn't meant to go forever. And then the Lord spoke to him and said, Go to uh, Zarephath, which is in Sidon, which is where... Jezebel came from. It was the heart of the enemy's camp. And he said there'd be a, a widow there who would take care of you. And so he went there, and the first person he saw, evidently, was standing outside the gates of the city, was this widow. And he asked her, you know, for a glass of water, and she said she was going to get it for him. She was a nice person. And then he said, Hey, how about give me some bread? And then she began to tell him how she was fixing to cook her last meal, and her and her son were going to die because they were starving to death. Because of the drought was so terrible. And he said, if you'll make that bread for me, if you'll make that last meal for me, you will have supernatural provision until the drought's broken. Isn't that powerful? And so she took a risk 
she took a chance and believed what he said and, and, and wound up, she had that supernatural provision, and she also had Elijah, which I think is pretty cool. If you have Elijah living in your house, that would be a nice day, right? I mean, that was a blessing. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you can get somebody Elijah's caliber in your house, something's going to happen, <laughs> right? Well, here's what happened. Her son got sick. The son that was going to die because of starvation, and he was saved from starvation, but this ailment came on him. And the way the, it reads, he didn't get sick in a day and die. He wasted away with some kind of illness with Elijah living in the house. Doesn't that not comfort you? <laughs> when you pray for somebody and it's like, God, I've prayed myself the best I can, and they're still wasting away. There's still no answer, even Elijah. And so the boy died, and, you know, she brought the boy to him. Uh, pretty, pretty dumbfounded and pretty upset that this would actually happen. And, of course, Elijah took the child, took him to his room, got on top of him, and breathed and spoke life back into this boy. The first resurrection recorded in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? The first resurrection recorded in the Bible. See, there's so much in his life that's so profound. And then um, the Lord spoke to him. Verse 18, it says, The word of the Lord, in verse 1, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And that's really the best news ever. Right? When you've been waiting on the Lord, it had been over three years. He'd been waiting for three years. Part of that time he was doing nothing. He was just being still. Part of that time, he was doing a miracle and raising the dead. But it was still, we don't know everything that happened every day of his life, but we do know those, those things. And he was waiting. And I just feel like that's such a hopeful verse to me, that God, there comes a day when God speaks. There comes a day when God acts in people's life. And the thing that we've been waiting on God to do, it, that day comes. And I just really want to encourage you guys, that that is going to happen in your life. There's going to come the day when God is going to show up in your life. He's going to intervene in your life. He's going to intervene in your situations. That day will come. It doesn't matter how long you've waited. And when we begin to believe that, when we begin to think about that, instead of thinking about what the Lord's not done and why He hasn't done that, when we begin to think, but He is going to do it, and begin to pull on that. Begin to pull on God is going to show up and, God, and start thinking about that. Your whole heart attitude can shift. And faith will begin to be in your heart. And that hopeless, wandering, question, negative stuff that gets on Christians, right? When God doesn't seem to be operating in our life and God seems to be failing us, all of a sudden that begins to be diminished in our life. And that's why Paul said in, in, in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Because he said that's where Christ is. That's where, you, where our answers are. That's where things can begin to shift for you. And, and when we begin to do that, your mind gets renewed. Your heart gets renewed. There's a refreshment that comes in your life. And you begin to see life differently. Your circumstances may not be different, but you'll begin to see things different. And you'll begin to hear things different and feel things different because you are believing the word of the Lord is coming my way and it's going to step, it's going to interject into my life. Amen? Well, this Mount Carmel was a very important place in Israel. Uh, 
because uh, in the Old Testament it was important because of the, the military position. Uh, you know, you, the, in the old warfare, whoever held the high ground had the advantage. Probably still true today, maybe not as much. Like, you know, they have airplanes, they hold high ground, right? <laughs> but that's what Mount Carmel was. It was the high ground in Israel. It was the place, if you were going to rule, if you are going to secure the nation, you had to make sure Mount Carmel's secured. You had to have that under your control. And those prophets of Baal knew that. And that's why they had set up all their temples and all their worship up there. That's where, where the main place where all the, the sacrifices and, and, and the unheard of evil babies being sacrificed to Baal because Baal was the, going to prosper them and Baal was going to help them. And that's what was going on on Mount Carmel. And Elijah knew it. He knew it. So he said, I'm gonna go, I'll go up there where they're at, at their stronghold, at their high place, and I will challenge them. I will walk right into their place. That's what he did. And so Ahab, yeah, come on. That's where we worship at. Come on up there to where we worship at. We'll overcome you. He didn't understand that we can overcome evil with good, right? That's the Christian, what we're doing as believers. Is we're, that's how we can change this world is through bringing good. And it's good when we sing about the goodness of the Lord and declare that God is good. Because if you don't believe that, you ain't overcoming nothing with good. In fact, if you don't believe that, you, you've been overcome by the world. You have a worldly... Let me tell you something. If you don't believe God is good this morning, you have the world working in you. You have a worldly belief, a carnal belief, that you have to repent of. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. And, and you can say, well, God's not good because blah, blah, blah. But you know the truth is, that's not true. And that's why we need to repent of it and say, Lord, you know what? I may have had these bad things that happened to me. I may have been disappointed. You, I may have felt like you let me down. I may have felt like you didn't do what you said you was going to do, but you're still good. And I submit that to you this morning. I submit what I think to you because what you think is better than what I think. And I would rather have what you're thinking than what I'm thinking. God wants to give us His experience. Do y'all believe that? God wants to give us His experience versus our experience. And we get tap into His experience when we surrender our experience. We surrender our thoughts. Some of you have a really good anointing on your life. And I feel like, though, God wants to tell you, if you would give this exchange, Lord, how about I trade you my anointing for your anointing? Wouldn't you like to trade that deal? I mean, think about it for a minute. I'll trade you any day of the week, Lord. <laughs> But think about just trading your thoughts for his thoughts. His feelings for your feelings. His emotions. And all of that's available to the believer. It's, it's, it's totally available. That's what the mind of the Christ really is. And so what happened, I'm just going to tell you the next few verses to save time, is they went up there and all these prophets and all of Israel came because everybody wanted to see this big fight and see who really was going to win this battle. And so Elijah told them, listen, since there's so many of you, why don't you guys make a sacrifice? You know, set up your, your slaughter, your animal, and put it up there, and you call fire down, get Baal to send fire down. And so they spent... All day trying to do that. 
Uh, and he kind of mocked him, you know, about it. He kept saying, oh, maybe he's not hearing you. Oh, and one of the points was, I've not totally investigated this, but people who know say one of the things he said to him is perhaps Baal is setting it on the toilet. That was one of the things he said to him. He's using the bathroom. He, he can't call fire down. Or perhaps he's taking a nap. You know, so he was kind of taunting them. I don't recommend taunting devils, personally speaking. You know, but Elijah at that point was kind of taunting them. And, you know, like, yeah, you know, because he knew. this. He, he knew something. He knew that God was fixing to do something. And so they did that. They went on and went on, cut themselves, did all this crazy stuff, you know, that, demonically inspired stuff, danced around, you know, just did insane stuff, and it just wore themselves out. They were probably bleeding seriously because like, they couldn't get nothing to happen. And then Elijah uh, came in and said, no, it, it was his turn now to call fire down. It's just this beautiful thing here that, that I think, I want to read this part to you. It's in verse 30. I'm going to read verse 30 through 35. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. So that's the first thing. That's the first thing. And that's the thing that God is, the spirit of Elijah, when the spirit of Elijah is released, that's what God is doing. That, and I believe that's the thing that God is saying to his children, his family, the people of God, is come near to me. I think we're in a time where God's trying to draw people to himself. And I think if, if you feel anything in the spirit realm, that's the thing that God keeps trying to say is come near to me. Come near to me. And, and the beautiful thing is, is these people responded to the, to the, to the cry of the Lord's heart. It says they, they responded. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. See, there had been an altar there. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That's important. Because that's the other thing that God wants. That's why he's calling us near to him is because, and I'll get into this in a minute, but there's an altar that the Lord wants to repair that's in the earth right now. There's an altar that needs to be repaired. Okay? Let me just go ahead and finish reading it, and then I'll, I'll talk about that just a little bit more. Are you all right? It says, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Verse 32, then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sieves of seed. That's a lot of seed. And he put wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. Now that would be just dumb as as day as long if you want to start a fire. You don't want wood to be wet. You want your wood to be dry, right? You don't want to be bringing water in when you're trying to build a fire. Just keep the water to the side just in case the fire gets out of control. But, why, but he knew what he was doing. And so they did it. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. I just feel like that's really what we need right there, okay? We just need that. We just need God to get some water on his people, right? And pour it on us. That's what they were saying this morning because we just need water from heaven. And I just love that. I love what God was saying to us. I love the analogy about rain. You can get irritated about it. You can just love it. A lot of Christians are irritated when God starts raining because he rains on their parade. (laughs) 
right? But I would rather God rain on my parade so I could get in His parade. Because His parade's better than your parade. That's the truth. Whatever parade you have in your life, God's got a better parade that He wants you in. And that's the truth. Becky and I were talking about this morning how every one of us, we're all guilty as we get our thing going in life and we're living our life and we've got these thoughts about how things should be and we'll just stick to that no matter what. And God wants to interrupt that because there's something better. I'm not talking about just your spiritual life. I'm talking about your home life, your work life, everything. All of that is, is dangerous when we begin to be ruled by our routines and by the way we think things should be. It's just dangerous for you. And believe me, I'm a guy who kind of likes routines, to tell you the truth. I, I kind of thrive in routines. I can't stand this. Hey, let's go to the beach today. Go to the beach? Seriously, we need to think about that for a couple months. <laughs> See how much money we got. Forget the money. Let's just go. Well, that's the person I live with. Uh, You know, it's going to mess with my routine. Don't, I don't want to go to the beach. I love the beach, too. <laughs> so they did this three times, and the water ran around, all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. So here's a, the, what he did. He, number one, he spoke, come near. The next, he repaired the altar. The next thing he did, he put sacrifice on the altar, okay, which was an oxen. That's what they, were, they sacrificed in the Old Testament. And then he had them put that water on the altar. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to take a minute and talk to you about altars. Anybody ever thought about altars in the Bible? Altars are very significant in the Bible. In fact, I, I, a couple of years ago, I started thinking about the covenant nature of God. Okay? And I started like, you know what? I don't really think I get all this. I, I understand that God's a covenant keeper. He has the new covenant and the old covenant. There's a bunch of covenants in there in the Bible. There really is. More than you realize. But I really felt... You know, it's kind of important to God that we know about His covenant nature. There's something about that. There's a healing covenant in the Bible. Literally, there is a healing covenant. It's amazing. There's a covenant that God won't destroy the earth again, destroy, wipe it out again. That's a covenant that God made. That means that's not ever going to happen again. Okay, so I began to ask the Lord, and I don't know how He got me, but He got me to thinking studying the altars in the Bible. There's over 400 mentions of altars in the Bible. That's a long Bible study. <laughs> the first one, the, the very first one, actually is what they call the, no, the covenant with Noah or the covenant with creation was when Noah came out of the ark, when, the, when everything dried up and he came out and the Lord made a covenant, I'll never do this again. I'll never destroy the earth like this and the people. And it says Noah built an altar there and worship the Lord in response to this covenant that God made. And so you can begin to go through the scripture and some of the greatest revelations, greatest revelatory truths that you and I hold to be true and carry in our heart, absolutely the greatest revelation, all happened at an altar. So if you really want to get to know God and get to know what God thinks and what's important to God, the altars in the scripture can really reveal a whole lot about God's heart towards mankind and how God wants to relate to us and what God wants to do for us. So it's a pretty profound uh, revelation. And 
And here's the thing. The Bible tells us, this is what the Bible tells us. The Bible says in, in Hebrews, Hebrews 13, that we have an altar. You get that? We have an altar. You see, it's not just an old covenant. See, that's the thing. Uh, that's Old Testament. It's New Testament. Let's, I'm going to read that to you. Are you all okay? Do not be carried away with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by what? Grace. Grace. Not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied them. We have an altar. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. Now listen. That's important right there about this altar. See, in the Old Testament, they built physical altars. That's what they did. They built these rock altars made of rock. That's what Elijah was doing. He was repairing this altar that was up there of the Lord that had fallen down. All that's just a picture. All that's just a, 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 a revelation of something that's spiritual. And see, Paul says that we're the temple of God, right? That's what he said, that your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is, 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 is there's no longer a temple that man has to go to worship at, there's a temple inside of us. And because there's a temple inside of us, there's an altar inside of us. It's the altar of grace. It's the altar of mercy. It's the altar of truth. It's the cross. It's what Christ did. You see, Christ was sacrificed spiritually on an altar. And that's the greatest altar there is. That's the greatest revelation of, because that's the new covenant altar. Are y'all following this? Y'all just sitting there looking at me like, what does this matter? This matters everything. This is everything for us. And this is what was happening, okay, this is what was happening when Elijah had to rebuild this altar. Although you and I have an altar in our heart, and we cannot never escape this altar. Everywhere you go, that altar goes with you. You That's that's why you don't have to go somewhere for the altar, because you're carrying the altar around with you. But like the altar on Mount Carmel, that altar had fallen down. That altar needed repairing. Which means there's in our life, the altar that we carry can fall down. It can fall down because of sin. It can fall down because of neglect. It can fall down because of self-effort. Because if you notice what Elijah put up there in the Old Testament, he put an oxen up there. You know what oxen are? You know what they represent? They represent strength. And that's what you had to put on the altar Ultimately, every one of us in this room, if we're going to really come into this relationship, we've got we to gotta put something on that altar to be sacrificed. Don't you love that? Now we're talking about making sacrifices. <laughs> Look at this. Uh, let me read this one to you. This is good. Romans 12.1. Everybody knows this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And so, because it's a grace altar, that's what we had to put on the altar. We had to put ourselves up there. We had to put our strength up there. We had to put our self-efforts up there. And that has to be sacrificed so God can supply His strength to us. That's what grace really is. It's... It's God being able to live His life in us and empower us to do what He's called us to do. And so to really the only way 
we're going to have that life is one, we've got to recognize that the altar in our hearts, for some of us sitting in this room, the altar in your heart has fallen down. It needs to be repaired. And this is it, the truth. The altar is where the place where the fire comes down. And see, Elijah didn't call fire down until he got that altar fixed. And a lot of Christians want the fire of God in their life. They want God. And, see, and what God is saying, I want, this is what I want to do in your life. I want to do something inside of you. So you, I want to fix your fireplace. Because that's what the altar is. It's the fireplace. There was another time in the Bible where God brought fire down on the altar. It's when David had sinned and counted Israel. Okay, this is amazing right here. Y- y'all want to hear this? This is amazing. David had numbered Israel, and the Lord told him not to do it. You know, I don't really get into all that of why God, but the bottom line is God said don't do it, and David did it. Somebody talked him into it. I think Joab did, actually, his right-hand man. I think it was Joab. No, Joab was the one who went to him and fussed at him about it. You know, and like, dude, you messed up. You need to fix this. Well, David went. And started crying out to the Lord because 70,000 people had died. This angel, they, these angels got released. Don't tell me angels can't do some damage. They killed 70,000 Israelis. Killed them, murdered them, just wiped them, and they were going to kill a bunch more. And David was starting to panic at that point. Obviously, you know, I would be too. If I had did something, 70,000 people died, you'd be in a real panic, right? Yeah, think about that, man. That was a serious, serious moment in his life. And the Lord sent this him to this man named Ornan, which that was a crazy name, but O-R-N-A-N. And Ornan had a, flesh, a threshing floor. And David went to him and said, I, want, I need your threshing floor uh, because the Lord said, build an altar there. And Ornan said, oh, sure, you can have it. And, and David, this is amazing. David said this, no, I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pay for it. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? People don't want to talk about money. I'm just saying David said, no, I'm not going to expect somebody else to pay what I should be paying. This is going to cost me. And so he built this altar and sacrificed on it, and and fire came down on this altar, and the Lord stopped the plague. Isn't that amazing? And see, I think that's a lot of times what has to happen in our life. These things that are going on in our life is because our altar is not capable of holding the fire of God. We've let, we've let it. A lot of people just neglect, neglect it. They neglect. The, the altar is what this is. It's your relationship, Lord. It's this communion inside of you. It's the place where you meet with God. It's the place where you encounter God. That's what they represent in the Bible. Is altars are a place where people actually have encounters with God and God speaks to them. God reveals something. God does something in the altar. And a lot of Christians have let that go. They've let it go. And their altar is going to church. That's their altar. And that's not it. Because, and so we have a few people who have encounters. We have a few people have this engagement with God instead of a body of people who have it. And all of us have got, have got an, an altar that God has built in, into our hearts. And so we had to be what I call altar consciousness. We had to become conscious of this thing in us. There was this old saying that somebody said in the 70s, altars, A-L-T-A-R-S, are meant to alter, A-L-T-E-R, us. In other words, every time you encounter the Lord, 
there should be something that is altered in you. And that's a beautiful way of looking at it. When you really look at all that in the scripture, like, with, like the one with Noah, something altered that day. God says, this will never happen again. I promise you that. I guarantee you we'll never do that again. But I would give you a lot of confidence if you just went through that. Like, yeah. That's really, really good. But let's read the rest of this. 1 Kings 18. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt off, the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stone. I mean, he burned up everything, burned the dust up. You know, that's a hot fire when it's burning rocks up. You don't want to be around that fire. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Then all the people saw it, and they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Isn't that powerful? See, that was it. That was the showdown. That everything had led up to that moment for Elijah. All that God had done led up to that one moment. But you have a whole nation of people at that moment saying, The Lord's God. Because one man, one man, one man was willing to really hear the Lord, obey the Lord, and do what the Lord told him to do and go to this place and go through what he had to go through to get there. Y'all are just sitting there looking at me. And then Elijah, you know, he was breaking bad at this point. I mean, at this point he was not, you know, it was like kill him and take names later. That was pretty much what he was doing. He said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and do not let one of them escape. And this was the people who were following these prophets and, and worshiping along with these prophets. Suddenly they turned on them. And see how in a moment God can turn a nation. In a moment, in a moment, God can, all this stuff that's going, that's going against the mind and heart of God, in a moment it can be turned if there's a people where God can bring, release the fire through. Now, that's the truth, that in a moment it can happen. And that's what happened there, in a moment. If we'll let the fire of God come into our life, then we're going to have some authority to shift some things in the world. And so they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook and executed them there. He killed every one of them, 850 people. You know, that was a rough day, (laughs) killing killing that. So I think... uh, that also tells me, you know, on a personal level, you know, when the fire falls, the things, the enemies in your life, because every one of us have enemies, every one of us have stuff in our hearts that plague us that we can't seem to escape from, that's where you can take them down and kill that thing in you. In other words, you may have some kind of bondage to something this morning in your life that you really don't really want that in your life. You would love to be free of that. Well, when the fire of God comes... You have suddenly had this this anointing, this authority to be able to overcome those bondages in our lives. And that really would be an awesome, awesome thing, I think, to get free from stuff and get healed from things. So, yeah, amen, right, Jeff? Yeah. So, I think, Lord help, right? That's what I think. (laughs) Lord help. I think um, this is the thing, is I think we have to ask the Lord about our, the altar within us, which is, really is our hearts. Is, is, our hearts. is our hearts in disrepair? Have we neglected 
the most important thing in us? Have we neglected our relationship with the Lord? Have we neglected being with the Lord? And, you know, making the Lord that priority in our life, making Him the Lord of our life. You know, that's the question. Um, another thing is, is self-effort. Okay, I just think that's just something that plagues Christians. Like we're going to do all this stuff for God to get Him to do something, which is just dumb as everything. It's just backwards. You know, I don't care how much you're going to pray and get God to move. Well, the truth is, is God is going to put a prayer in you and get Himself to move. That's, you know, we got to get rid of self-effort. We got to get rid of our own strength, what we do. That really has to happen in your life, mine and your life. Really, it's, it is that revelation of grace and living, our, living your life from His life and being empowered by what He does instead of trying to do it yourself. You can't live the Christian life. It's impossible. It's not just hard. It's impossible. You can't live it without Him. He has to live His life through you. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I. That's what he said. It's no longer me. It's no longer me doing this. But then he goes on and talks about the life I live. He kept living a life, but it wasn't him doing it. All the stuff that Paul did, all the revelation he had, it wasn't him. It was Christ in him doing it. And Christians need to get through with all that stuff and ask the Lord to give them a revelation of grace. Because that's really one of the things that really spoke to me. The other thing I think is important is um, is the prayer part. You know, bring it and praying the fire down. Because I think there's a really an anointing for prayer right now. I hate to say that kind of. <laughs> I was never in. I was into. I was in, let me just explain it like this. A few years ago, there was a big prayer movement in the United States, and I got really involved in it, and it just got, it got weird on me because it became more about the prayer than about the Lord. It became more about what we were doing. We were going to get, and we were going to do something. I couldn't, it wore me out. I got like, I'm out, you know. All this heaviness, all this striving, all this, you know. You go to a prayer meeting, and you go in feeling really beautifully good. Right, and then you leave it like feeling like you've just been beat to pieces. Like, good Lord, God is rough, man. I mean, man, to get God to do anything, you've got to about kill yourself. You've got to beat your head against the wall. What kind of Christianity is that? But when there's a scripture in, in Zechariah 12:10, it says that God, on the house of David, it says, on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, God is going to pour out grace and supplication, which is prayer. So there's a time when God releases an anointing for prayer. And, and, and it's not coming from us, it's coming from heaven. It's tapping into His prayers. And so I think there's a really, a, it's, a, it's a time for us, for prayer. And I think it's a time to, 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 to shift things. I love what she said up here today. Something's trying to, something's trying to take my voice away. Something's trying to keep from, from me declaring as a big part of prayer. It's not just asking, but it's declaring something. She was, this is Amy saying, who is God to you? Declare that out and there's power in that. Something gets released in that. 
And that's what God is really calling people to right now. He's calling them to a, to a, a, a prayer that's going to change things. A prayer that's going to shift things. Amen? I really believe that. So I really want to invite you guys into a prayer. I'm just doing this as a commercial. I want to invite you into prayer. Okay? And I sent an email out last week about we had like, I don't know how many groups of women praying. You know, like two or three or whatever. I'm not sure. Sue knows the details. Thank God for Sue, right? <laughs> she knows it. Like, boy, if, if I'm going to have to keep up with these details, this thing's going down quick. But, but what they're doing is they're praying. They're just getting together or doing it on the phone or doing it through social media, whatever works for people nowadays, right? There's lots of options on how to engage with people in prayer. And, and they're praying, and I think it's making a difference. I really think it's, I think God's releasing more things. God's giving revelation more. And so we wanted to invite other people to do that, to, to, to pray like that. Um, and we did women at first because of that word uh, blessing gave us about the power of women in the Scriptures and how they had impacted the course of, of, of the Bible. As you see these women... And so he was saying, you just get some women. Get, in fact, he said, get 12. And so we picked a few people, and it wound up being more than 12. And, and, and we've been doing that for a couple months. And I feel like there's men in here that have powerful anointings to pray. I mean powerful anointings. And so we're inviting men to join uh, and other women and anybody, and even young people, yeah, to you know, to find a partner or two partners, whatever, and how, whatever frequency, some regular frequency that you can get together with these people and pray with them. Pray the mind of the Lord. Pray the heart of the Lord. And people get revelation. When it's, so I really want to tell you that. And the reason I think that's important because I think that's what God's doing right now. God's releasing an anointing for prayer right now. And God's going to answer prayers. And it's a way every one of us can join God in what He's doing. And begin to tap in more to what the Lord's doing. And be involved in what the kingdom is happening on earth right now. It's just a really easy, simple, simple. You could do it with your spouse. If you could stand praying with them. <laughs> I pray with Becky and she overtakes me, man. Like She claims I preach when I pray. So I'm just sitting there. I'm not saying nothing because she says I preach when I pray. And, you know, some people you pray with, they, they have so much more anointing than you have when they pray. You feel stupid praying with them. <laughs> so I feel like I can't, I can't operate on this level. I need to find somebody who's a little more simple in the praying. Is that good, Becky? And she does have a powerful anointing for prayer. But you could do it with your spouse. And I just really encourage you to do it, though. And so... If you would like to do that, you know, talk to Sue, Sue Crowley. Ra- raise your hands. Stand up, Sue. Let's give Sue a big hand. Yeah. Now, she's all embarrassed because she don't like recognition. But I think it's a big part of the spirit of Elijah being released. It's through the powerful prayers of God's people. Amen. So y'all want to stand up? Marlon's going to come out here. and That was good. Wow. Your father just released that spirit of Elijah. You know, 
one thing that I wanted to share real quick was um, in terms of that no pressure trying to get yourself to have a revival. I mean, having these hard prayers and trying to persuade the Lord to do something on your behalf. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was telling Barra, I just had a, an encounter with the Lord just out of the blue. Um, I was even thinking about the Lord at the moment. But I felt this grace come into my heart like a presence from the Lord that just came into my heart. You know, and I was reminded in the book of Acts, you know, where it says, you know, that repent. Okay, that, that, uh, that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus. And at that moment, I knew I was having an encounter with the Lord. But it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I fasted and prayed for days and weeks and months and any of that stuff. It was just purely out of the goodness of the Father just to bring that in there. And I remember just being so thankful for those moments when, when the Father just sends his presence and his refreshment. You know what I mean? And I just pray that the Lord just release that for you guys. You know, because he really wants to touch people. He's very interested. The Father, he's such a good Father. He's very involved in everything that we do. It's not just a matter of Say you on your course and say, well, good luck. I'll see you on the other side. Hope, hopefully you make it. But he's with us every single second, every single minute, every single step, every single situation, every season of life. He's absolutely present. Amen. So I just pray that the Lord will absolutely send his refreshment from his very presence to you, into your heart. There are places where you felt dead, places where you felt you're not able to connect to him, that all of a sudden it would just be easy. I like that easy anointing. You know, where it's just a pure invitation that he brings you into it. And when that happens, our job is to respond. He can't respond for us. Just the same way I tell my son, I can't see, I'm not there with you in class taking notes for you. I can't pay attention for you in class. You're going to have to take that upon yourself to do that part. So when you have that prompting and you feel those times of refreshment, respond. That's what is happening this morning. You know? So you got something you want to say there, Larry? I got something pretty heavy on my heart. Right now, this is, this is a, a very crucial moment in history. We had the vice president speak at the right to life movement never happened before there was something broke something changed in the spiritual atmosphere and i think this message that byron has delivered is part of that critical point turning point for for us right now we need to make decisions men need to realize this is a moment when we can really put to death all the desire for pornography. I believe pornography is something we can deal with, deal with today. We can deal with it. Just like they killed all those old prophets, those old prophets of Baal, which was in pornography. That, that was fertility worship. It was all of that sexual... Uh, dis, uh, distortion and evil. And this is what we have today. And, and this is a moment that, that we can be freed from that. I have been freed. I know 
I know what that terrible, terrible battle is like. And so what I want you to do is as people are coming to minister, and I want some of you that have conquered it, and you know what it, the horror of it is, and you can pray for people too. And we're all going to come together so everybody's hidden. If you want to get free of that thing, if you want to put to death this prophet of Baal, this evil, evil thing in your life, this is the time. This is the time. This is the time we can have victory over it. So men, have guts. Take authority. Step up and get free. Step up and own this thing and say, yeah, on Mount Carmel, today I'm getting rid of this thing. I'm getting free. So I want you guys that have had victory. I want you all to come together. Nobody knows who's who here. And we're going to get free. We're going to deal with this thing. Come on, man. Be man. Be man. Come on. It's about responding to the Lord. It's about responding to the Lord. So come on, even... Even if you don't have that problem, what we're doing is asking you to come as a man so the ones who do won't feel exposed.